4: Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. Hunter Biden's one time buddy appears before Congress to detail their joint business dealings. But today it appears no one agrees what, if anything, his testimony proves about alleged influence peddling by the Bidens, including the big guy. Joining me now, Peter Schweitzer, president of the Government Accountability Institute and host of the Drill Down podcast. All right, Peter, so what would you say were the highlights of what we learned from Devin Archer yesterday?
5: Well, I think we learned a couple of things, Megan. Uh, First of all, we learned um, from the business partner that Hunter Biden would call uh, his father, the sitting vice president, with his business partners. Uh, And it was a way to kind of show off the brand. Uh, What is the brand? Uh, Is his father the head of some tech company with business acumen? No. His father's the vice president of the United States, and the brand is Access. Um, You know, the Democrats, I think, are being a little disingenuous when they say they didn't discuss business. What's the big deal? Uh, Look at how campaign fundraising is done in Washington, Megan. Uh, Somebody comes in, they express concern about the bill. Uh, President or uh, an office holder talks about it the fundraisers contact them later to discuss a donation. Uh, That's probably the same way that it happened here. So that I think is an important development because it shows the lie uh, that Joe Biden has said consistently that he never met with, never discussed, never had any conversations with any of his business partners. The, The second thing from this testimony that's important, Megan, is that Devin Archer said very clearly, and remember Devin Archer served on the board of Burisma, this Ukrainian energy company with Hunter Biden. He said that Burisma executives were pressing Hunter Biden to get the prosecutor fired. The prosecutor that was looking into the CEO of Burisma, uh, issues related to taxes, financial irregularities, et cetera. So that's confirmation that Burisma wanted him fired. Uh, you add to that evidence that Joe Biden bragging on video that he was the one that got the prosecutor fired by withholding USAID. um, That, I think, is also an enormous development.
4: So you have Devin Archer saying he knows firsthand that Burisma was speaking to Hunter about trying to get this prosecutor in Ukraine fired. They wanted this anti-corruption prosecutor allegedly off of their back. And we know from the laptop and other testimonials that one of the conversations that Joe Biden had was with Burisma, the executive's Hunter Biden, shortly before he fired that prosecutor. (laughs) Now, years later, Joe Biden would tell us all that he had that prosecutor fired. He fired him back in 15 when he was the vice president. He didn't speak to the Council on Foreign Relations about it until 2018, which is when this soundbite is from the first half of this uh, soundbite. But uh, James Comer was on Hannity last night. And here's a bit of Joe Biden in 2018. And then Comer commenting on what he believes happened right after it. Watch this.
3: Had
6: gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to press conference. Said no. Nah, I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars. They said you have no authority. You're not the president. The president said I said call him. <laughs> I said I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a... <laughs> got fired.
5: That's a quid pro quo, Sean. That's very illegal. We have evidence in this sworn testimony that, uh, that from a fellow Burisma board member, that they were pressuring Hunter to immediately get on the phone with his father
7: and get this stopped.
4: Hmm. Because we do know that uh, Archer uh, rep- reportedly yesterday testified that on December 9th, 2015, Joe Biden traveled to Ukraine to make this speech about uh, corruption and so on. And then shortly thereafter, he fired. He made sure that they fired Shokin. And that was right after he he had he he and Hunter met with the Ukrainian business officials.
5: Yeah. That's right, uh, Megan. This is an, an enormously important development, I think what Devin Archer said, because it shows the motivation of Barisma to get this prosecutor fired. Remember the consistent line uh, from Team Biden and a lot of the fact checkers, so-called fact checkers out there went along with it to say that, no, the investigation was dormant. The investigation was really no longer existent. Um, This is clear evidence that Burisma certainly didn't see it that way. And in fact, it wasn't until later that Burisma announced that they were no longer under uh, legal jeopardy. So uh, when this first came out, when that video was first released uh, and people were talking about the quid pro quo, I was kind of skeptical Uh, But this new piece from Devin Archer, I think, conclusively shows um, that there's a connection between the two. Hunter Biden was not hired by Burisma because he had background in energy or Ukrainian policy or regulatory affairs. He was hired because of who his father was. He basically acknowledged that in a 2019 ABC News interview. uh, And lo and behold, Who's the one that later brags about firing the prosecutor that Hunter's employer wants fired? His father, the vice president of the United States. I don't think it gets too much. uh, I don't think it gets more damning than that. Uh, And I think we have to really think about uh, the legal standards here. Megan, Uh, you're the attorney in this conversation. I'm not. But. If the standard is we have to show uh, a video of Joe Biden talking to his son um, saying, I will get this done, that's a ridiculous legal standard. I think the evidence is clear cut. It's a quid pro quo. And Hunter Biden was paid in part to have his father take official actions on his behalf. And that includes getting this prosecutor fired.
4: That's the only thing that makes any sense. That's the only thing that makes any sense. Neither Devin Archer nor Hunter had any expertise in oil, gas, energy whatsoever. They got placed in that Burisma board when Joe Biden was the sitting vice president. Then they have a meeting at which Punter makes clear that he has daily access to his father, the sitting vice president, and they get eighty three grand a month from this company. And then lo and behold, what happens? But Joe Biden fires the prosecutor in Ukraine or makes sure that they fire this prosecutor in Ukraine looking into Burisma what else makes sense and what what hunter biden seems to be saying what joe biden seems to be saying went on a podcast yesterday and talked about how he talks to his his kids and his grandkids every day every day he's been laying that foundation um why would he like i call my mom all the time but i don't call her in the middle of my show i don't call her (laughs) in the middle of my business negotiations with sirius xm i don't call mom no that would be inappropriate there's only one reason he would be calling him in the middle of a business meeting. And that's to show the doors open. I do have access.
5: Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right, Megan. I mean, look, they're trying to paint it as they talk to each other every day because it's so important for them to bond and connect. You don't bond and connect when you're sitting with four guys over drinks at a bar at the Four Seasons. Um, that's, that's not how you, uh, bond and connect. The other thing here is, is Joe Biden's responsibility. I mean, they play up the fact that, you know, Hunter had lost his brother and they're worried about substance abuse. Be very easy for Joe Biden. The first time that, that Hunter Biden did this, you know, called him with his business partners, be very easy for Joe Biden to say, look, son, call me at any time, call me at three in the morning. I'd love to hear from you, but do not call me when your business partners are present. Um, that apparently never happened because this has been Joe Biden's mode of operation. Let's remember, before Hunter Biden started this so-called international financial business, he was a lobbyist and he was lobbying his father on behalf of entities in Delaware. So they're very well versed on how to do this in a manner that's not obvious, but is still very effective for the clients, in this case, foreign clients like Burisma.
4: I want somebody to, at a minimum, ask Joe Biden this question. I wrote it down. It's very simple. You were the point man on Ukrainian corruption when you were sit- the sitting vice president. Burisma, a Ukrainian company, was being investigated at that time for corruption. How did you allow your son to sit on the Burisma board, a position <laughs> only offered to him after you became vice president. Will any reporter worth his or her salt ask Joe Biden that question? I wrote it for you. You can steal it verbatim. You don't have to give me credit. Just ask it. Ask it. Yeah, that's one yeah. piece of it. The, the total impropriety of that decision, which we know for a fact happened. There's no disputing any of that. The second question is why? Why did you do it knowingly because you wanted him to extort some sort of a benefit out of Brisbane? Did you get a piece of his board salary or some other payment that may have been made to your son? And that's really what the House oversight is investigating right now. Devin Archer did speak to that in part. But I will tell you, as a lawyer, I heard this following testimonial described and I thought so. Devin Archer wasn't in a position to know whether there was a bribe that he was not in a position. to know. Dan Goldman, this New York representative who's basically the cover guy now for the Bidens, he says this is their sort of game set match on the whole second piece of that inquiry I just mentioned. Here he is trying to spin um, the the, F, the FBI form 1023, which alleged from a confidential informant that there was a direct bribe paid by Burisma, uh to Joe Biden, 200 Biden of five million apiece um, in exchange allegedly for getting this prosecutor fired. Here's Dan Goldman speaking about it yesterday. Twenty one.
8: We did bring up the uh, F.D. 1023 um, and he categorically said that uh, he was unaware, had no knowledge of any five million dollar payment made to either Hunter Biden or to Joe Biden and would be shocked if that actually existed. And let's remember, he was on the Burisma board with Hunter (laughs) Biden. So, he, if, as a board member, he would have known if Barisma <laughs> was paying a bribe to any of the Bidens.
4: Yeah, is that, that's, is that how yeah, because, bribery
8: works, Peter?
5: <laughs> right, exactly. And Burisma, as we know, has such high ethical standards. Um, it, it was it was regarded, Megan, within the Ukrainian industry, which has a massive corruption problem as a horribly corrupt place. So, no, th- this is just laughable. And look, there, there are plenty of other examples in Biden world where the Bidens carve out money for themselves and other people don't know about it. Uh, look at the Tony Bobolinsky case. What happened to Tony Bobulinski is they set up a company, Hudson West, uh, that was supposed to be getting money from CEFC, $5 million. Hunter contacted CEFC and had it sent to his personal account instead of the corporate account. And Tony Bobulinski didn't even know that that money had been transferred. So this idea that Devin Archer didn't know uh, it didn't happen, um, is, is just simply ridiculous. Um, oh,
9: God, one ridiculous. of the you're things... talking
4: about paying a bribe to the sitting vice president of the United States. Do you think <laughs> Let's uh, everyone in favor on the board? Sit, give an eye, you know, like, is, <laughs> who is he, Dan <laughs> Goldman kidding?
5: <laughs> it went through the accounting department, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> and the check was cut, you know, from Barisma to the, but yeah, it's, it's just laughable. Look, this is the retreat that they have undergone. Um, I I think the real culprits here, I get that the Bidens are defending themselves and their political advisors and hacks have to defend them. The real culpable people here are the mainstream media because they continue to cover for this. The New York Times is now sort of downplaying the Devin Archer uh, testimony by saying, yeah, we kind of knew that Joe Biden talk to the business partners and associates. Well, if you'd read the New York Times over the last five years, you didn't know that because they haven't reported that. And they parroted the the Biden line that there were no conversations. So it's really the media here. Where's the fourth estate that's supposed to be speaking truth to power, this being the most powerful man in the world right now? They're they're non-existent.
4: A couple things to set that record straight. We've got um, I think this was actually put together by Hannity uh, putting together like a string of the Joe Biden and the Hunter Biden, uh, the Joe Biden comments about Hunter and his business. Take a look at this. 22.
3: Mr. Vice President, how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings?
6: I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. And what I will do is the same thing we did in our administration. There will be an absolute wall between personal and private uh, and 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 the government.
9: Do you stand by your statement that you did not discuss any of your son's overseas business? Yes, I stand
6: by that statement. I did not know he was on the board of that company. I've never discussed my business or their business, my sons or daughters. I never discussed a single thing with my son about anything having to do with Ukraine.
4: Okay, so he made very clear. I mean, I guess he was just like, are you are you at home in your living room, Hunter? Oh, okay, then we're good. Then we can talk. No, he was phoning in at least 20 times to these business meetings or Hunter called him at these business meetings. And he knew very well what the purpose was. However, the spin continues from Dan Goldman. Again, spinner in chief. He's just downright dishonest. I'm sorry, but he is. To, that that last soundbite shows it. But here he is. And now what's become in the past 18 hours, an infamous soundbite. It's sandwiched in the middle of a bunch of nonsense. But where he tries to say they would talk about the weather. Listen, it's not 20. <laughs>
8: He did describe that there were about, uh, approximately 20 occasions over the course of their uh, nearly decade long business relationship that Hunter Biden would uh, ask his father to say hello to whomever he was at dinner. He said there were sometimes when it was friends and sometimes when it was a potential business partner, but the witness was unequivocal and stated very clearly that they never discussed any business on that phone conversations. There were niceties and there was a hello and there we talked about the weather. If he says hello to someone that he sees his son with, is he supposed to say, hi son? No, I'm not gonna say hello to the other people at the table or the other people on the phone. The witness was very, very consistent that none of those conversations ever had to do with any business dealings or transactions. They were purely what he called casual conversation.
4: Peter, Molly Hemingway writes in a piece on The Federalist today, while no one actually thinks Joe Biden has a secret interest in meteorology that he only shares with corrupt foreign oligarchs who happen to be in business with his son, the claim is ridiculous for another reason, which is and she's giving credit to Larry O'Connor here, quote, understand this. Hunter getting Joe on speakerphone was the deliverable.
5: Exactly right. Yeah, when I I first heard him, Dan uh, Goldman say this, I thought, you know, there are these things called weather apps. You don't need to call your dad to discuss (laughs) the weather. I mean, you have weather apps. This information is not hard to get. But but more to the point, um, look, in all of these dealings, the question I would ask Hunter Biden and I would ask Joe Biden is, what was your son's business? What services did he provide? Tangible services did he provide? And or what product did he provide for these tens of millions of dollars that flowed to him from China and Ukraine? Because he had no skill set. And we know the answer. The product was Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, I mean, Dan Goldman knows this. It's the way fundraising is done in Washington, D.C. You know, a lobbyist comes into the office. He's concerned about the bill. The senator or congressman talks with him about the bill. He doesn't ask them for a donation. He doesn't ask them to hold a fundraiser. That happens after the fact. A subordinate calls them. That's where the financial transaction takes place. It's the same thing here. These foreign entities were investing in the Biden family. In fact, Chairman Yi, who was the head of the CEFC, when he sent $6 million to Hunter Biden, he said, This is not just for you. This is for all the Bidens. So they all knew who they were in business with. They were in business with the Biden family. And I think as this investigation proceeds, Megan, we're going to actually see more evidence that Joe Biden actually benefited personally from his son's financially from his son's overseas business dealings.
4: you're right. The, 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 what business were you in? What business were you in? That's a great question, because it's very clearly the access business. I'm, my last name is Biden, and so is my dad's, and he's the sitting vice president from the laptop. Um, th- again, this is from The New York Post. There was an email uh, September 22nd, 2011, where Hunter told Devin Archer that a Chinese mogul who secured them a multimillion dollar deal, deal quote, loved him for his last name. Um, A a Chinese businessman, uh, Che Fang, who was referred to as the super chairman by this pair, Devin and Hunter, uh, helped Biden's firm, Rosemont, uh, and another one. And uh, then Hunter emailed Archer, I don't believe in lottery tickets anymore, but I do believe in the super chairman. When Archer questioned why Fang was so generous to Hunter, Hunter speculated that his favorable position had everything to do with his hyper connected father and to your point about what actual services could he provide? He wasn't an energy expert. This is a lie. There's no reason for Burisma to have him on the board. Something happened in court last week that Margot Cleveland of the Federalist was pointing out. I don't have it totally understood in my head, so forgive me. I'm going to try to go, but from memory. But she was pointing out that the judge was saying to Hunter in this plea deal, you're you're saying in the statement of facts that you provided legal services. To this one Chinese mogul, and that's why you got this million dollar payment. And Hunter said, uh, "Yes, uh, if if memory serves, but I'm not a hundred percent." And she's pointing out it was a clear lie. He got this million dollar check for the same reason he was on the Barisma board. They tried to paper it by making it look like they were paying him for legal services. But this is a pattern, Peter. It's a pattern, and now. You've got to your point about the media, the spin, the spin, 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 yeah. spin to try to, like, pretend that yesterday was an insignificant day and that all this stuff that went down with Joe Biden on the phone 20 times, who the hell's getting on the phone with Romania, <laughs> the Romanian yeah. businessmen when you're the vice president, um, that it, it all had to do with the tumult that was caused by the death of Beau Biden. It's the most cynical, disgusting spin. Some of that is in the soundbite I'm about to play you from this morning over on MSNBC sot 14.
5: As far as Hunter Biden goes, even those close to the Biden family suggest
8: that some of his behavior is pretty unseemly. That doesn't make it illegal. Yet maybe he is guilty of turning a blind eye to some of his son's uh, behavior. And we should put this in context. This is
5: a time when Beau Biden, the president's other son, was ill and then dying. We hear here from Comer and other Republicans, it's wishful thinking. They're trying to create yeah.
8: a scandal. They're trying to create a scandal, or at least the appearance of a scandal, the the sort of uh, you know smokiness of a scandal. Yeah you know i think it's pretty clear at least so far there is nothing there this was a a, a sort of very fraught and and sad time for the biden family and uh, we know how important family is uh, to the president let's oh put this in context Bo biden got very sick in early 2015. at that point Joe Biden and Hunter Biden began to speak every day because they were both devastated. But the critical part here for Congress, and that's what we have to make sure we understand, is that Joe Biden was doing nothing to benefit his son. And what about the Biden bribery, bribery tapes we've heard about? The witness completely debunked those allegations. And he said there was no bribe of either Hunter or Joe.
4: Look at that lie at the end, Peter, that lie at the end. I was laughing, too, until that. He said there was no bribe. That's a lie. That's not that's not even what Dan Goldman said happened yesterday. He upped his rhetoric for morning Joe. That's not even arguably what even Dan Goldman said. The witness said the witness said yesterday, according to Dan Goldman, not that he was aware of, um, but he states it definitively there on MSNBC to their audience. And how about the nonsense about they were just too upset about Bo to realize what that they were breaking laws?
8: Yeah,
5: you know, and and look, I wouldn't bring this up except for the fact that they're playing the Beau Biden card. You know, I guess Hunter Biden was so distraught about his brother's death uh, that he ended up having an affair with his brother's widow uh, yeah. while he was still married. I mean, it it is just so ridiculous. And look, I think these sort of twisted, um, uh, this twisted logic, these distortions in my mind, are a sign of desperation. I mean, they, it, it's becoming increasingly untenable. They keep shifting the goalposts. The arguments keep shifting and changing. Um, and another important point here, Megan, is we focused on the corruption aspect of this, but something we also have to put into context is the national security implication of this. You have, in the case of China, three Chinese businessmen. You mentioned the super chairman, Che Fang. All three of the Chinese businessmen that funneled tens of millions of dollars to the Bidens had ties to the highest levels of Chinese intelligence. The super chairman, Che Feng, at the same time he is setting up Hunter Biden for this private equity deal, BHR, that nets him by some estimates $20 million. Uh, At the same time he's setting Hunter Biden up for this lottery-like win, he is business partners with the vice minister of state security, in China, whose responsibility is recruiting foreign nationals to spy on behalf of China. So this is not about, oh, can we prove the legal standard of whether there's a quid pro quo? There is a larger national security question here. The first family of the United States has received tens of millions of dollars from foreign sources, and many of those foreign sources have ties to foreign intelligence services. Does that not matter anymore? I think it does. And I think most people think it does.
4: This guy, Hunter Biden, was doing all this when Joe Biden, by his own admission, knew that he was a cocaine addict. He was a crack head. He knew. And he didn't say this is a dangerous position for the country for you to for you to be having this kind of access to people in Ukraine, to people in China, while putting me on the phone with them. Who this guy lied about his taxes, cheated on his taxes, lied on his gun application uh, form. Are we is it really so hard to believe he took access he had to Joe Biden's confidential papers from his days in the Senate, never mind the vice presidency at one of the homes that we now know Joe Biden was keeping inappropriately in those locations and let somebody take a look for a payment so we could get his crack. He was sniffing Parmesan, for the love of God in an effort to try to get some sort of a high. No one cares. Imagine if you had a prosecutor with the tenacity of Jack Smith on this case, Peter, instead of figuring out the Trump scheme to go talk to the guy who (laughs) ran surveillance at Mar-a-Lago to see if whether a tape could be erased or not. Something Trump denies. But imagine this is what gets people so aggravated that they they tell them there's there's no there's no two systems of justice that that it was Trump's Justice Department that was weaponized, not Biden's. And we're all supposed to sit back and say that Trump, he sure is horrible. He shouldn't be running at all. It's four more years for the sitting honest Uncle Joe.
5: Yeah. Yeah. No, look, uh, it's interesting how their characterization of Hunter has changed completely. Uh, they argued for years. He's a legitimate businessman. He was a Yale trained lawyer. He got these deals because of his merit. Now they're saying, oh, well, he was just distraught and he was on drugs the whole time, which to me just doubles down on the question, then why do you think these foreign nationals were sending him all this money? Let's remember also another thing, Megan, that Joe Biden apparently went along with, which is in 2014, the U.S. Senate released this back in 2020. In 2014, Hunter Biden said, I no longer want Secret Service protection." So he was traveling Mm. to China. He was traveling to these other foreign locations without secret service protection, taking money from people connected to foreign intelligence services with a major drug problem. And apparently Joe Biden had no problem uh, with him doing that. So. It's a massive security threat and you're right. There are two tiers of justice in this country. Uh, There is no effort, serious effort by DOJ to investigate this in any serious way. Um, If this was a Trump rather than a Biden, uh, the investigation would be handled far, far differently. And if you look through the span of human history, Megan, the surest example of a decline of a civilization, it's not free elections, those are enormously important. It is when the criminal justice system is seen as totally corrupt and favoring a select few. That's when you see the decline and collapse of civilizations and people are starting to seriously distrust our criminal justice system in this country, I think, for good reason.
4: Thank God Republicans won the House. Thank God they won the House. You people out there, you voters, you can do what you want when it comes to the White House. That's up to you. Do not give up divided government. Otherwise, we're not going to know any of this stuff. The only reason we know this stuff is because we you people, voters, you voted in divided government. And that is a blessing. Peter Schweitzer, so are you. Thank you so much for being on with such clear, concise explanations of it all.
5: It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Megan. Wow.
4: All right. When we come back, a longtime former star whose name you will know on the U.S. women's soccer team calls out her former teammates. That's next. Now, two rising stars in the conservative movement. From National Review, Caroline Downey, making her first appearance on The MK Show. And back with us from the Florida Standard is Will Witt, whose new book, Do Not Comply, Taking Power Back from America's Corrupt Elite, comes out on September 19th. Caroline and Will, great to see you. Thank you for being here. Let's kick it off with, so to speak, kick it, get it, American Soccer. Uh, these morons on the women's soccer team continue to embarrass us on the national stage. They tied. Okay, they got into a zero zero tie with Portugal. And this is they've only scored four goals in three games. It's the first time ever that the women's team does not have at least two wins at this stage of the competition. And yet they're celebrating out there like they've just won the whole thing. They're making fools of themselves. They won't sing the national anthem. Half of them won't put their hands over their hearts. Even the ones who are singing are half assing it. They clearly don't want to be doing it. I mean, they look like they don't even want to be there. It's like some sort of inconvenience to be representing the USA. So Carly Lloyd, God love her. She's uh, she's with Fox Sports now, goes out there. And it's very unusual for a former player on the team to actually take shots at the sitting team. Um, But God bless her because she was right in everything she said and listen to what she said.
9: I have never witnessed and just seeing these images for the first time right now on the desk I've never witnessed something like that. There's a difference between being respectful of the fans and saying hello to your family but to be dancing to be smiling. I mean the player of the match was that post you were lucky to not be going home right now started to shift post 2020. I think there's just a lot of off the field things that are happening and you know, you never, you never want to take anything for granted. You put on that jersey and you want to give it everything you have for the people that came before you, for the people that are going to come after you. And I'm just not seeing that passion. I'm, I'm just seeing a, a very lackluster, uninspiring, taking it for granted, um, where winning and training and, and doing all that you can to be the best possible individual player is not happening.
4: Right because she mentions 2020. That was post George Floyd when you had the Megan Rapinoe's of the world saying we're not singing the national anthem. We're all taking a knee. We're never going to sing the national anthem again. And now she said that the player of the match was that post because a post blocked uh, one of the other team's kicks. Into our goal, not not us. So this team is prancing around like they've won the whole thing. They won't respect us. They won't respect our country. They won't respect the men and women who have died for the United States by just managing a heart, a hand over the heart. And yet they celebrate themselves like crazy, even though
9: at best they've tied. I don't. Caroline, what do you make of it? Well, I may be sports illiterate, but I can recognize when a team like this is clearly settling for mediocrity. I mean, I saw this sports columnist describe the performance of this team as lackluster because, like you said, they tied with Portugal and they had beaten that team, I think, at least 10 meetings prior. So this is clearly a, de- a decline in uh, their you know, athletic performance. And I think it's probably because they're prioritizing other issues besides Mm -hmm. being a winning team for the United States and and representing the U.S. well. And it's it's definitely politics. They're definitely investing a lot of energy into woke woke things. like you mentioned Megan Rapinoe. She, I think, just the other day said that if a transgender individual were to want to come onto her team, she'd accept accept them with with open arms. Which is very ironic because uh, a women's team was beaten by a UK men's team, I think last month, twelve mm-hmm. to zero. So clearly she's not convinced of the the overwhelming physical advantages that men have. And
4: Megan Rapino, she's she's the leader of all this. She didn't make the team exactly. She's on the team, but she's on the sideline. She's not a starter, so that's why she's not on camera when they're doing the national anthem. But she's she's behind a lot of this. She's poisoned the entire team against the country for which they play will and i don't know about you but i'm watching this team i'm not rooting for them i'm not with them i hope they lose
2: well it's funny your producer you know they sent the topics this morning and they're talking about women's soccer I didn't even know any of this was happening. I had to go look all this up. I mean, this is how outside of of the realm, you know, women's soccer is for a lot of people in this country. And honestly, this team reminds me of the Republican Party in America. It's full of losers. And they love losing is what it seems like. I mean, I see these people celebrating that they have lost or tied a game. And it's just this entire culture of what it means to be many people living in America today, they're fine with mediocrity. They're fine with foreigners coming in and eating our lunch here in America. They're fine with sending our jobs overseas so that they can work cushy jobs and that working hard is is a relic of the past. That's what it seems like this team is doing. And so in reality, it's hard to blame them in the sense because it's really just exemplary of, of what so many Americans are now doing. I think that our, our country is really going downwards in a way where we are saying losing is great. Being a loser or mediocre is fantastic. And being someone who excels, who who is courageous, who is outside of the box is wrong. And I think Mm. that's a a huge, a huge mistake on our country's part and what we've prioritized.
4: It's it's shameful. These girls are shameful. They ought to be ashamed of themselves. Um, In other big news this week, Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul is now pushing for criminal charges against Dr. Anthony Fauci for lying to Congress in his testimony. We learned this week that in an and now unredacted I'll show the audience here. Hold on. Here is the original. You can see all the redactions as this was originally provided uh, to the public. Uh, Fauci email to all of his uh, closest compadres within the government. And it was Saturday, February 1st, 2020. OK, the pandemic was just starting. He knew it. A lot of us didn't yet know it. This is how we originally got it. And this is how it's now been produced. OK, so now we see the whole thing. It's been unredacted. Rand Paul got a look at it. And the same guy, Anthony Fauci, who for months was telling Rand Paul and all of other are the lawmakers under oath that we did not fund any gain of function research at the Wuhan lab and that there was no gain of function at research at the Wuhan lab, meaning research on bat coronaviruses to make them either more lethal or more contagious. That's what gain of function is. He denied repeatedly that it was happening over and over and over. And what does this document say? I'll read it to you. This is February 2020. So he knew the whole time while he was testifying to Congress, he knew the following. This is him. The suspicion was heightened by the fact that scientists in the Wuhan University, which is the compadre uh, organization with the Wuhan lab, are known to have been working on gain of function experiments to determine the molecular mechanisms associated with bat viruses adapting to human infection and the outbreak originated in Wuhan. He's saying the experts he's talking to think it came from the lab. Another thing he lied about. Here he is on camera speaking to Rand Paul, trying to say we don't fund it, and you're out of line to even ask me about it. Let's try SOT twenty eight.
7: You are entire, entirely and completely incorrect that the NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain of function research in the Wuhan Institute. Do they fund Barrick? We do not fund... Do you fund gain... Dr. Barrett's gain-of-function research? D- Dr. Barrett does not doing gain-of-function research, and if it is, it's according to the guidelines, and it is being conducted in North Carolina, not You don't think in inserting China. a bat virus
2: spike protein that he got from the Wuhan Institute into the SARS virus is gain-of-function? That is you would not... You in the minority because... At least 200 scientists have signed a statement from the Cambridge Working Group saying that it is gain of function.
7: Well, it is not. And if you look at the grant and you look at the uh, progress reports, it is not gain of function. This paper that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain of function. If the point that you are making is that the the, the grant that was funded as a sub-award from EcoHealth to Wuhan created SARS-CoV-2. That's where you are getting. Let me finish. We don't know. I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating, Senator, because if you look at the viruses that were used in the experiments, that were given in the annual reports, that were published in the literature,
4: it is molecularly impossible. All right. So just two things and I'll give it to you guys. Um, so he's denying that we funded gain of run, research or gain of fund, function research and that and he's denied elsewhere that there was gain of function research happening there. And this letter says exactly the opposite, that there was gain of function research and he knew it. And um, secondly, he's denying, as he always has, that any gain of function research that was being done there caused this virus, this particular virus. Well, Robert Redfield, the former head of the CDC, came out this week and said he believes exactly the opposite on both points. He actually says that virus, the actual virus, came out of that lab and we funded it. So, I mean, <laughs> you can't get a, a better official on the record to come out. So what do you make of it? Uh, Ranfall trying to hold criminally, uh, Fauci criminally responsible will.
2: I think it's a good thing. He's obviously telling the truth, but it's hard to imagine that something's actually going to come of this. I think of Hillary Clinton in 2016 and all of her emails and, and her being held accountable. I haven't seen that yet. Or who knows what's actually going to happen with Hunter Biden with everything that they were just talking about. I mean, we, we can be hopeful about these things and we can think that Fauci's going to be prosecuted for something like this, but it's hard for me to get too excited thinking that something's actually going to happen. It seems like all the time the people who are the, the most evil are doing the most harm in this country, Usually are able to get away with the things that they do. I hope that's not the case because obviously the truth is there. I mean, you could you had Doctor Fauci lying about masks, and saying that the masks work and the social distancing worked, but most people don't know this. You could actually go on the NIH website but in this 2021, is so much bigger. and there were studies against this oh, so mask- much bigger. Th- that's of one course. thing well. This this is what everything. caused
4: the pandemic. This yes. is we're getting to what caused the pandemic. Why d- why did so many people die? And the answer very much looks to be because we funded a dangerous research experiment in a lab in Wuhan that we knew didn't have the proper safety protocols because why? Because research and then we refused to investigate or hold the Chinese accountable because science. Caroline, that's why.
9: Yeah, I mean, it was reckless scientific investment. And when you think about how many scientists were suppressed and silenced for challenging the ongoing narrative years ago, that this virus naturally emerged from animals in a wet market. I mean, they were taken offline, the amount of the crackdowns on social media over this. I mean, to Rand Paul's credit, he's the only one subjecting Fauci to a reckoning right now but obviously there needs to be way more accountability and like Will said unless there's prosecution against Fauci I don't really know what's what hope we have I think you know mm-hmm. Ron DeSantis has pledged to go after him and uh, that, that's all well and good but I mean it's unbelievable he's lying through his teeth repeatedly when we, we have the evidence we have the testimonies like you said from from public health officials who said no Like, we are culpable, the United States, partially. But uh... because
4: here's, here's the thing, Fauci, the NIH later came out and admitted that EcoHealth was doing gain of function research. They tried to say, oh, they were doing this research and it kind of turned into gain of function. It was an unexpected result. And then they didn't tell us about it until 2021. So we're sorry. We didn't find out about it till 2021. Here's February 2020. Anthony Fauci saying they're doing gain of function in Wuhan, notwithstanding all the testimony that we just watched, which was under oath. So, yes, it Ron DeSantis and any other president should hold that guy accountable. And we for once and for all should get to the bottom of exactly how far that gain of function went and whether it was responsible for the virus that's killed so many, though not as many as they tell us, (laughs) because they're lying even about that. I want to switch to uh, aged politicians we covered last week when DeSantis was on, what happened with 81 year old Mitch McConnell. We've, of course, been watching watching the deterioration of President Biden. Um, And then we saw Dianne Feinstein yet again, yet again, with just such an embarrassing moment. All she needed to say was I she seemed to think it was her opportunity to like opine about the measure. And she had to be corrected by Democratic Senator Patty Murray to just just say I here's a clip of it. uh, Saw 26.
7: Senator Feinstein to say, I would like to support a yes vote on this. Um, It provides eight hundred and twenty three billion and it funds priorities submitted. Yeah, just say, Okay,
4: just.
10: (laughs) I
7: thank
9: you.
4: She's 90, Caroline. So how old is too old?
9: Oh my gosh, it's heartbreaking. I I just think there's a point where this is elder abuse and and that applies to our, our president. I mean, Feinstein is recovering from shingles still. She was in the hospital for so long that she missed many votes to the point where her Democratic colleagues are saying you should resign. I mean, what happened to just gracefully retiring to private life, returning to your grandchildren, to just, you know what I mean? Just leaving public office after a life of service. I don't understand like why people like Feinstein, I mean, even you could argue uh, Fetterman is becoming a pawn of the political machine when these people are not well. I mean, Biden mentally incapacitated, McConnell showed signs of that the other day. That was terrifying. I mean, that was like almost a 30 second pause. I mean, we can't, first of all, have this liability in Congress on Capitol Hill. I think it's a liability that these uh, elderly politicians are becoming, they're so frail. And, um, you know, again, to DeSantis's credit, he's invoked the energetic executive multiple times, and that comes from Hamilton and the Federalist Papers. But I think he meant that in more ways than one, not just like a spirited person prepared to use power for like just ends. I, I also think he meant vitality, like usefulness, someone who is capable because they are healthy. <laughs>
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, he said, well, in in our interview last week that uh, he'll be ready to spit nails on day one of his presidency. He's only 44. I believe the guy. I mean, 90 years old. I think about Sandra Day O'Connor. You know, she's alive. Sandra Day O'Connor has not passed, but she's suffering from Alzheimer's. She she recognized when it was time to leave the stage. And when it would be a compromise to her service to the nation to remain on it. And I'm sure that wasn't an easy decision for her. And I'm sure it's not easy for any of these guys. But for the good of the country, they have to do it.
2: I think so. But it's very hard to give up power once you have power. And I think that a lot of people take advantage of the elderly in this country, at least especially the elderly politicians. I mean, you have a military industrial complex, you have big pharma, you have the lobbying group in D.C. who say there's some old person who wants to retain onto everything they have. Let's grease some palms and and make sure that they get everything they need and just sit there. They do nothing. You know, it's a it's a complete waste of of, of a, a house seat or a Senate seat or a presidency to have someone in there who is inept and can't even speak or 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 make complete sentences. And it's all part of the plan where these people will go along with whatever it is, because someone's someone's paying the bills, someone's greasing the palms to make sure that these people stay in power. So of course, these people are too old. You should be much, much younger being in office and much more chipper. But unfortunately, this is the way that it goes.
4: Yeah. When, when I was practicing law, um, there was a mandatory get out clause. I think it's 62. I think memory serves what, you know, so you could become a partner. But at 62, they wanted you out, not because they couldn't have another partner in the law firm, but because they understand the natural workings of one's brain may not allow one to be at peak performance. You know, maybe 62 is too young, but certainly at 81 and at 90, it's time. And yet, if you write too much about this, Caroline, you'll be called an ableist and an ageist um, and sort of shamed out of pushing it.
9: I mean, younger generations have a very large stake in the future of this country. I think it's fair that we say, you know, pass the baton to us. We we would like to to lead because we uh, honestly we're we have the pulse. We're on the pulse about what, what needs to be done, what's happening on the ground in this country. And I think if you're insulated in government for decades and decades, um, in a way, I think the Founding Fathers said that was a good thing because then you weren't too sensitive to the the fray and kind of the popular currents, which are, are sometimes ja- dangerous. But in another sense, they're they're way, way too um, removed from, I think, what is going on. And, and yes, there's the decay. There's the physical and, and mental decay.
4: You know, we're still looking well at a presidential race that looks like it's going to be a 77 year old against an 80 year old. So, I mean, we're. We're forging right ahead with that battle. What do you make of that?
2: Uh, I think that personally we need someone younger from the Republican Party unless, you know, Donald Trump and Biden are drinking their raw milk. I can't see this being (laughs) too exciting. I had to bring that back for the show, just like last time.
4: My husband was like, was he drinking raw milk? Keep going.
2: (laughs) Yeah. 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 I'm drinking it again now with some chocolate, too. Anyway, it's very exciting to see what's going to happen in the presidential election. It's heating up to be one of the most exciting that I've seen in my lifetime. But if it turns out that it's just two older people who, you know, their mental capacities somewhat seem to go, it obviously seems like Donald Trump is much more awake and, and on it than a Joe Biden. But still, for me personally, I think we, we need some vigor.
4: Vigor would be nice. I like the phrase spit nails on day one. I've got to admit I uh, do that, too. that that worked for me.
10: The University of Austin is a new university dedicated to the fearless pursuit of truth. At UATX, a culture of free, open inquiry and civil discourse helps us break through barriers instead of walking on eggshells. Students will feel at home in our downtown Austin campus. With guidance from world-class professors, they'll grapple with history's most important ideas. They'll learn through dialogue without fear of censorship while forming friendships that last a lifetime. They'll have unparalleled access to mentors in business, science, politics, and the arts, and develop careers alongside Austin's leading entrepreneurs, builders, and founders. What's more, all students in the founding class will receive full tuition scholarships for all four years. Admissions are rolling for fall 2024. Apply to the University of Austin now at uaustin.org.
4: Now, an old pal of mine and legendary actor Dennis Quaid is here. Dennis rose to fame in the 1980s, starring in hit films like The Right Stuff and Great Balls of Fire. His career spans decades. But he is here today to discuss something in addition to his acting that he's doing. As a musician and songwriter since the age of 12, Dennis has brought his faith to music in his new album, Fallen. A gospel record for sinners, and we mean all of you and yours truly. It's actually really good. I'll tell you the songs that I love most on it. We'll pay you a little bit, play you a little bit, and we'll get into what inspired him to write the album and how Faith has played such a major role in his life. Dennis, great to see you again.
3: Hey, Megan. It's been a while. It's been a minute. How's
4: it going? Yeah, it's been a minute. It was like 18, yeah. I think, was the last time we were together.
3: Uh Kind of, sort of, at the Reagan Ranch.
4: Yep, exactly. You were shooting Reagan. But we're not allowed to talk about Reagan because you're on strike because you're a member of SAG. Is that the rule? I just
3: said Reagan Ranch, that's all.
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you may not know this, but since I la- and my audience doesn't know this, but since I last saw you, I am also an actor now. I had to join SAG because I haven't told my audience about this because it's not ready for primetime, but I... I have actually taken a role, a, vi- a bit part, in something I'm not at liberty to disclose. It's a very <laughs> small, very bit. But they made me join the union. I, too, am a union. I'm also on strike. We're on strike together.
3: righty, then. You'll have to tell me about that off air.
4: So what are, what are we doing on strike? Like, do we, should we go to the picket line together? Do we get to hold placards?
3: I uh, am planning on going to the picket line, in fact because uh it's it's a real thing with with streaming and everything it's a a lot of actors they depend on that that residual money that comes in which you know with network and if you do movies that play on tv or in different markets you get that and it's uh you know it's kind of a person's social security that they get for life i mean i still get substantial uh amounts for movies i did back uh, you know in the 80s in fact and uh they need that. And, you know, uh, streaming, I don't think they have a business model for it yet. And mm-hmm. I think you know, that's been a, a big problem, but they they will get it. And I think you know it's going to happen. It's just a question of chicken right now, I guess, because mm-hmm. nobody wants to talk.
4: Well, it's I mean, it's a bummer for the consumers, because as everything is halted, the writers are on strike, the actors are on strike uh not you know these things aren't being produced and so i don't know what's the lag time 12 months 24 months from now so we're gonna be wondering where all our great shows are
3: right and of course during covid uh all the streamers and everything it's kind of a golden age so they have a big backlog of of product i think that uh they have yet to put out and so like I said it's going to be a game of chicken I think for a while.
4: Mm. And the streaming thing is interesting because it used to be that guys like you would star in something I I don't know maybe it's, I think more of in terms of television but you'd star in a television show and then when the reruns were on you get paid all these residuals. And right. now that we just have all this streaming it's like well how do you get paid for all the residuals? I mean right now I've noticed that um I don't even know what streaming service it is, but one of them is forcing suits on us. Suits is everywhere. It's I believe it's Ari Emanuel, Meghan Markle's new agent, shoving this down our throats so he can (laughs) relaunch her career. And uh, but I mean, I sort of see the point like so she's now everywhere. And so that's that show is now everywhere, whereas it was not everywhere recently. And so do those actors get paid on that or no, because it's it's not like a rerun. It's just born again on streaming.
3: Right. Exactly. There's a buyout that goes on there. And that money is going somewhere, but it's just not going into the actors' pockets. And, uh, you know, some of the streaming services, they don't have to report how many views and all that to subscription. So, I mean, I see their point of view from where they're at as a business. But, uh, you know, this has always been part of a a business and it's the right thing to do.
10: Hmm.
4: Well, I'm following it with great uh, interest since I too, I feel like Norma Ray. I'm on strike. I'm ready. Right. No, I don't, I have no idea what I'm doing. I, they made me <laughs> join it just to do my very small little part. I'm like, oh, great. I could get some good, cool benefits. I'll go to the meetings. I'll go to the cocktail parties. They'll be like, ew, get it out of here. Who is she?
3: What cocktail um, parties?
4: <laughs> yeah, there probably aren't any. Let's talk about music. So, I knew that you were in a band. We talked about this when I interviewed you a few years ago. Yeah. It was the Sharks, Dennis Quaid and the Sharks. So, how right. now have we parlayed this into gospel, into something more about your faith?
3: Well, it, uh, gospel music is. I, I love gospel music. And, you know, I grew up in the Baptist church. And uh, a lot of those hymns, five of which are uh, on the record. Uh, I loved, that I picked, and um, I wrote a song after I got out of what I call cocaine school back in 1990, and uh, when I got off that, you know, it was, uh, that leaves a big hole in you, actually, Uh, even though you're not using it, it it takes a a while to really uh, get get to feeling like, you know, a human being, you know, you're gnawing your teeth and you've got to fill that hole. And, you know, that that's uh, an AA or whatever they call it, a higher power, but uh, it's, it's really uh, God. It's really, it's really the spirit you've got to, you've got to fill that hole with. And that's the only thing that really fills that hole. And um, I wrote this song called uh, On My Way to Heaven, which I wrote it for my mother because, to let her know I was okay. And uh and uh, it's the whole record really is a spiritual journey, not just from that, that time, but of, from growing up as a kid. And uh hopefully I think people relate to it because it's uh I think it's hopefully universal in that uh it is the uh the story of a spiritual journey.
4: Well, what I like about it is it reminds me when I when I first started at Fox News, we were basically funded by these Christy Lane commercials and he would have this Christy Lane thing like singing about faith as she was on the, you know, she was oceanfront as the sunset went down and she had the flowing dress and the 1980s hair. And, you know, Christy Lane had never committed a sin in her life. That's how it sort of appeared. This is very different, Dennis. This is basically like. Well, There've been quite I, a few missteps, but yeah. I fall into a soft place thanks to you.
3: <laughs> well, I, I I titled the album "Fallen," uh, and it's "Fallen," a gospel album for sinners, because I wanted to have the broadest possible audience with it, and uh, <laughs> that's uh, you know that's it's it's my story in a way you know it's it's. Uh, It's got the church aspect, but it's also got a little bit of the outlaw thing with it.
4: We have a little bit from Fallen. Um, The the words are really beautiful. You talk about feeling so ashamed. Let's let the audience take a listen. Fallen. But things happen to good people. Now, you reference getting out of cocaine school, but a lot of the audience may not even be aware of this chapter of your life. It may just be looking at you as this huge movie star who's made 75 movies and is in the household name and you're rich and you're famous, but you know of what you speak.
3: Uh, Yeah, you know, during the 80s, you know, that was part of the 80s, you know, that's back when we were all having blind fun and or you know thought we were and it was fun and then fun with problems and then just problems with that and i had one of those white light experiences where uh i kind of saw my i saw myself either dead or in jail or losing everything i had and worked for and uh so i checked myself into a rehab facility that's back before they had the ones with couches and pools and stuff like that. Uh, and hardcore. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, uh, it was, uh, at 30 days and I, I was lucky I got it. And, uh, you know, I spent pretty much the next kind of four years kind of grinding my teeth. And, and so I started, uh, I, I read the Bible again, cover to cover and, uh, um, I was really struck by the red words of Jesus, and as a as a kid, I had I'd grown up in the Baptist church, but I, I got disillusioned with with what I saw kind of hypocritical or churchianity, as as I call it, and um, you know that it would these nice sayings and everything, but it would people were doing things they weren't living them out, or at least in my mind, and. Um, uh, but the problem was with me. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. uh, but I, not only the Bible, but I read the Dhammapada. I read the Bhagavad Gita. I read the Quran and I was a, what you call a seeker, I guess, you know, looking Mm -hmm. for something. And it, it came back to the red words of Jesus in the new Testament that really struck me and really hit home, hit my heart and, uh, opened up a whole new world and he became my uh, personal savior. There's a, much different relationship. So that how,
4: way. how do you looking back on it, you know, did you just get sucked into it because it was okay. You were in an industry that I remember you telling me when we sat together the last time there were, there, there were like provisions in movie contracts, allowing like a budget for <laughs> drugs or something. You said something along those lines.
3: Well, yeah. yeah. Cocaine was in the budget back then. You know, it's all that side cash. They cash on hand they have, but it was, and you know, people magazine, I remember having, you know, uh, big story about how cocaine was, you know, not harmful at all. And it was just fun. And everybody bought into it. But, uh, you know, then John Belushi and Freddie Prince and, you know, quite a number of people started dropping. And, uh, you know, towards the end of the 80s, it got pretty scary, I think. Mm
10: -hmm.
4: This is when you were married to Meg Ryan. Um, Uh,
3: It was right before I got married. We weren't married yet. In fact, we were to be married. And, um, about two months before our wedding, I mean, that's when that event happened that I told you about. And I, uh, sat her down on the couch and told her, you know, I was, uh, you should know I'm addicted to cocaine and, uh, you know, her jaw dropped and uh, she really had no idea. She just thought I had a whole lot of energy Mm -hmm. and, uh, Thought I was going into rehab and stuff, and she really stuck with me and uh really uh, uh really uh, I'm grateful for that at the time. She had a lot of support and uh yeah.
4: I can say I believe it because I'm one of those people who I'll go out to dinner with a group of friends and you know, I'll meet somebody new at the table, and later I'll be like, that guy was so weird, he was so strange. You know, and my husband Doug will be like, Meg, he was on trucks. I'm like, what? What? I never know. I have no, I am the worst drug <laughs> alive. Why was he sweating so much? Alive, right. <laughs> yeah. Why did he go to the bathroom like 12 times? He's probably, yeah. he, he should see a doctor about that. <laughs> so I believe it is possible to have someone in your life who's on drugs without you knowing, although these are not people I was ever married to. Um, so yeah, so you get the help that you needed. Um, and then you wind up divorcing Meg Ryan and you had some other relationships in there. Well, that
3: was what, 11, 12 years later.
4: Yeah, your relationships have been pretty good. Your first wife was, I think, five years. Meg Ryan was 10. Uh, Then came, um, forgive me, I forget the mother of your twins, her name.
3: Kimberly. Kimberly, yeah. Yeah.
4: And then you, ever the optimist, have found love again. Look at you, you're basically a newlywed.
3: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we've been, uh, Laura and I, uh, three years, and we're coming up on, what, five years being together, and she's really the love of my life. And, you know, I wasn't looking for her. I was uh, really kind of giving up on all that. And uh, she comes along, and life surprises you so much. And we we just have the greatest relationship, uh, just a lot of joy, uh, joy through everything, joy through, you know, the, the adversities that life throws at you and, and the good things, the bad things. It's just, uh, it's wonderful, and what I love about it is so, it's, uh, I think, really the most honest relationship I've ever had.
4: Mm. Why do you say that?
3: Well, because, I don't know, it's people, I don't know, we feel like I threw shame or this or that. We feel like we have to hide things from one another, or we can't say that because, You know, this will all go away or whatever. Are you afraid to show who you really are? Sometimes you don't even know who you really are. and That's probably most of the time. And um, we just talk about everything. And um, it feels so easy doing that, which was so difficult before. I mean, it's hard enough for men to talk anyway, you know, about their feelings or about what's going on with them. And, you know, it's just different.
4: She's not only beautiful, she's smart. Uh, I read that she was valedictorian in her class at Pepperdine. She's an accountant. She's got intellectual chops. She she has a double
3: masters in uh, economics from the Combs School and from Notre Dame. And she was working on her PhD when I met her. And I was a little disruptive in that, I think.
4: (laughs) Now, she's
3: uh, almost 40 uh, years
4: younger. So we talked about the last, almost almost four years younger, but you keep yourself in shape. You were telling me you go to the gym every day because you're vain. That's good. I like that you admit it. That's (laughs) right, yeah. Most most of us are. (laughs) Um, So how is that, is it even a factor? I think if you younger, if you marry somebody that much younger who's smart, it can be an equalizer. That's important. If you married some dope, I think that would get old fast.
3: Oh, she's, I don't say she's an old soul or whatever, but she's just, you know, I, We just don't even think about it. I don't know how it comes up. And, uh, you know, I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't even looking for, you know, somebody younger or anything like that. Um, People tell me that I have kind of a young spirit about me, you know, because I'm always going. But uh, you just never know who uh, God's going to put in your path.
4: Now, if my math is correct, the parent trap just hit 25 she's 30 so she was five when you made that movie so
3: yeah (laughs) is that weird (laughs) well you got to live with that there (laughs) there it is yeah uh (laughs) we have a lot of fun with that actually Uh, (laughs) the the whole merida thing because i have twins you know
4: yeah like you you could have married her or adopted her
3: (laughs) (laughs) she doesn't have a twin
4: Uh, Look, I think it's very optimistic. I always root for people who, if your first marriage doesn't work, second, third, whatever, it's like so optimistic. I say it's my
3: fourth and final.
4: Yes, I like that. Good. Well, and what about kids? Do you think about that? Now at 69 and she's 30, she probably wants them, no?
3: Oh, sure. I'd I'd be all up for that. And, uh, you know, we're just, uh, right now, we're kind of back and forth between. los angeles and, and nashville and a lot of traveling and so you know we're we're planning it and also seeing what happens with uh it's so you know, different
4: being a man how nature takes it so different course. i mean i could like when i was 35 and i i fell in love with doug we got married when i was 37 i mean that clock was ticking the thought of being able to just be like sure i'll do it at 69 it's so different dennis quaid so what do you think about like <laughs> Well, you know, do you worry though still? Cause it's like, you know, life is what it is. Longevity is what it is. You would still I do don't,
3: it. you know, this is like, I've been chasing kids now for, uh, so, so long and, uh, I really like it. And, uh, kids, they, uh, you know going get to know yourself uh, a lot better, you know, who you are with kids. And, um, Never regretted having having one of them, and it, it's you know just love, love in the love in the house. It's wonderful.
4: It's hmm. so true.
3: Sometimes you want to blow your brains out, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's Stop. but it's Stop. Stop. really it's worth, it's worth it.
4: <laughs> um, your eldest is famous in his own right now, Jack Quaid, the son you had with yeah. Meg. Yeah. He looks like such a combo of the two of you. It's actually yeah, it's I think pretty so too. remarkable. Yeah. He has He's made his it own like person. legitimately as a as yes, a big Hollywood star. He was in uh, Hunger Games. He's in Oppenheimer.
3: Uh yes, he is. Uh you know, uh it was obvious that he was always gonna be an actor. You know, his mom's Meg Ryan and me, and never we never pushed him uh to do that. Um uh, but <clears throat> You know, he just gravitated. By the time he was four years old, he had a video camera in his hand, you know, one of those old 90s versions, you know, and uh, was making movies and just all throughout. And, you know, then uh, he got into high school drama and kind of really did it the right way. That's what I did. It was, you know, in school and never let him be a child actor because we kind of didn't want that pressure on him. But then uh, came time. He was going to get an agent. And. um I, and my agent actually had, you know, since he was a kid, wanted to represent him. And so, you know, I told him that. He said, no, I want to do it on my own. So uh, he went out and got his own agent and fine. it. Then, you know, here he's got The Hunger Games. That's his first movie is <laughs> The Hunger Games. And then his second job he's working with, uh, Martin Scorsese uh, in vinyl. That was a great series that was on. And so it was uh, like, hey, Jack, uh, how about helping me out a little bit? You know, he's just just doing great guns. And
4: uh, you should tell him to put you on a Joe Biden plan.
3: (laughs) Yeah, guess so.
4: (laughs) He's uh, it must be odd, like to see the chip off the old block doing exactly what you do. You know, like we're all rooting for our children, but it must be it must be interesting just to watch them do exactly your craft and do it in his own way. Like, did you, how does it make you feel when you go to a big movie premiere of his?
3: Of, it's, I just I just feel so proud of him, actually. He's on this show called The Boys, you know, uh, with Amazon as well. And uh, I just feel so proud of him. Every time I see him, I forget, uh, you know, that he's my son a little bit. And uh, he's very much his own person. And, you know, he's had to deal with, this uh what do they call it uh the you know a ne- nepa baby thing but mm-hmm. uh, uh he's very much his own person
4: who cares right in the end like yes he's got two famous parents maybe that made life easier for him and in breaking into a very competitive business but i mean honestly it's tough enough right now to be a white guy so good for him for yeah but you gotta
3: <laughs> you gotta have the talent to stay there you know no yeah uh, and uh he really did do it on his own.
4: Yeah. Of course, they're not going to keep casting him in these big films if he doesn't have the acting chops. True. Now, how old is he now, Dennis?
3: He's 32. 32.
4: Okay. Because one of the things that I was thinking about was, you know, we, we talked about you and the, your drug past. And, you know, just this week, you, I'm sure you saw that Angus Cloud died, this 25-year-old actor who starred in Euphoria they're not I exactly just, saying I the just cause of death. I just saw a little
3: bit of that. You read about that last night. In fact, yeah, it's, it's very it's really sad. sad. <clears throat> yeah, so they don't. It, it, they're
4: not saying the cause of death, but every like the directors who worked with him, they're and they're saying, like many of us, he suffered with addiction and depression. So it, you know, they're leading us to believe it had something to do with one of those, possibly an overdose. We don't. We just don't know. Yeah, but these are I don't these are the reasons why. It, but it's, no, no, no. But I'm not, not going to ask it's you. It's really tough. Are, these are the reasons why I would be worried if one of my kids wanted to become an actor. Right? The industry seems to have a fair amount of this.
3: I think it's everywhere, Megan. I think it's just not publicized like it is uh, in the, in the uh, entertainment industry. It's everywhere, it's uh, in all walks of life. And it's, um, so many people are dying of fentanyl these days i mean Mm -hmm. things that you know weren't around when i when i was doing my thing it really scares me and uh but i don't don't worry about that with him he's got such a great head on his shoulders and uh yeah he was he was such an easy kid
4: well how is that possible right how do you inoculate from a family of privilege with the with the parents i mean you obviously got a divorce when he was five he's spoken about it publicly talking about how that was sort of young enough to not totally get it Oh okay all right um but he seems very well adjusted and even he has said that that like he thought you guys handled it pretty well and that growing up you know you you were obviously just mom and dad even though he knew you were famous and he saw your divorce on the cover of people magazine he said with like the paper shred down the middle mm. so how did he turn out well like for all those other parents out there what what did you do
3: well i think it's, you just have to be there for them you know as as a as a family it's a, it's about the relationship you have the with your kids, you know, it's, um, you have to be there and uh, be present. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just talking about if you want a relationship later on in life, you got to build that, uh, all the way through. And, uh, you know, he's always been, we've always had a great communication. And, uh, I, I think that's really important.
4: Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I mean, I think there's, you know, there's no do-overs. And if you miss the childhood, if you miss the ability to make your imprint, then you just spend a lifetime regretting it. There's certain things you can't get back.
3: Yeah, true. That's regret on that is, uh, that's tough.
4: Speaking of the fentanyl, Jamie Lee Curtis was on TV recently saying she's she's admitted she's a recovering addict and her, her drug of choice was Vicodin back in the day. Mm-hmm. She said she she thanks God that fentanyl wasn't out there when she was using because you know, she probably would have tried it and she probably would have, you know, been hurt by it. That's what she thinks. Do you, um, do you feel
3: like that? Prob- yeah, probably so, because, you know, you never think it's going to be you and you hear all the scare stories from your parents or, you know, the media or whatever. And uh, I mean, that's I remember that's the way it, it was back then. I mean, look, you know, cocaine, the way they talked about that and stuff. And uh It's 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 pretty it's pretty frightening.
10: Hmm.
4: Well, uh, at least now we have more attention being drawn to it. There's certainly no People magazine articles singing the praises of fentanyl right now as a recreational drug. So that's progress Um, on messaging. Like, what do you hope to achieve by sharing these stories like the stories of faith? I it's not very popular right now. Faith is going sadly down in terms of uh, its, its popularity, church attendance is at record lows, not just church, but temple, et cetera. I mean, what do you, do you hope to inspire anybody to give it another look? Not necessarily you say church, but just spirituality and connection with God.
3: I'm just trying to connect with people and just uh, tell my story. And it's funny it, you say that. I mean, yeah, church attendance is uh, compared to like 1960, is completely in, inverted. Uh, the people went to church, and and I, I got disillusioned with church, you know, it early, you know, and uh, or what I call churchianity, you know, and uh, but uh, I think there's actually I think in COVID I think there is kind of a spiritual reawakening. I think. That maybe we're just starting to see the effects of uh, in this country because people had been so busy for so long, and you know they finally had to like stop and they were at home and <laughs> with all with uh, their life. And I think they became contemplative. And the only thing to do for a lot of people who you know play music was go in the studio. And uh, I think they, you know, we all started to turn inward. I think and reevaluate our lives and and think about the big questions i mean you know covid caused a lot of death i lost i lost f- uh, four or five people that four four people that i uh that i, I dearly love to it and um it uh, you know, makes you think about the big picture and what am i doing and why am i here and um you know, there's not, there's no answers for a lot of it.
4: And and where am I going next? I mean, that's yeah. something we all we all contemplate. What mm. does it mean? Uh, you sit there in church. I do go every week with my family, and I think of that question all the time. I too have had loss in my life too much for the past year or so, and so you wonder. I I will say I loved the song on the album "I'll Fly Away." I thought it was it spoke to some of this but it also it's kind of fun like it talks about what's next a bit but in a snappy it sounds i don't know a little honky tonk we have a little clip of it we'll let the audience hear it take a listen to that one
3: like a bird from these prison walls i'll fly i fly away I'll
4: Dennis Quaid, you're channeling a little Johnny Cash there, if you don't mind me saying, in a great <laughs> Maybe way. Maybe a
3: little bit. He was, he was such, he was such my hero. He still is. Uh, Jackson Hubley, uh, who his father his father wrote that song "I'll Fly Away," uh, is in the background uh, on that. So that's, oh. I thought that was kind of cool. And he, unfortunately, he just passed uh, about three days ago, and oh, no. uh, like to send out my regards to his, his family. And we're sure going to miss him. And, uh, but it was great to have him on the record.
4: When you're singing a song like that, you know, with lyrics like that, which are addressing some profound questions, but in a way that picks up the spirit, like, what does that feel like?
3: I, you know, but that's because I, I think that the the experience is of, of God and uh, faith is, is a feeling of joy, you know, it's called the good news, is is what it is, and I, I I really feel that Jesus, you know, came here to tell us about heaven, yes, but he also came here to, I think, teach us about how to have heaven here on earth, and uh, inside of yourself, you know, that's not always easy or whatever, and a lot of it just has to do with you know faith, and it's it's uh, that that part of we all know that hole that's inside of ourselves that, you know, it's usually the last thing we think of at night or the first thing about when we wake up in the morning. And, uh, uh, but so I, I, to me, it's joy. You know, my mom used to say, don't ever let anybody take away your joy. And, uh, it's good to live by.
4: Mm-hmm. How, how important has faith been in your marriage to Laura? Uh,
3: God is, uh really part of our relationship it truly really is I, I i think i understand what that means now uh, where i did not before
6: mm-hmm. you know
3: and i think that comes through having a personal relationship with uh, with god
4: hm is she she's a faithful person
3: oh yeah she grew up uh, she grew up uh like that her, in fact her parents were, were missionaries over in japan and uh her father is, um, he's a professor and uh, he's a poet. Uh, he he writes, uh, his poetry is very faith-driven himself and uh, they're great people.
4: How do they feel about you?
3: We all get along great. <laughs> a, it's got to uh, be
4: so nerve-wracking to meet the parents. At first it was, like yeah.
3: yeah. At first it was, yeah. For the age difference and everything, but, you know, they, uh, they're, uh, they're just really good people. And, you know, Laura and I were, uh, we, you know, we feel about each other and, and that's, you know, it's a very natural thing. Mm.
4: She's got an old soul. You have an, a young personality, so I feel like that could, that could work. Potentially, I could see why, uh, why, why it landed. All right, stand by, Dennis. There's more to go over. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We will be right back with Dennis Quaid right after this.
10: The University of Austin is a new university dedicated to the fearless pursuit of truth. At UATX, a culture of free, open inquiry and civil discourse helps us break through barriers instead of walking on eggshells. Students will feel at home in our downtown Austin campus. With guidance from world-class professors, they'll grapple with history's most important ideas. They'll learn through dialogue without fear of censorship while forming friendships that last a lifetime. They'll have unparalleled access to mentors in business, science, politics, and the arts. And develop careers alongside Austin's leading entrepreneurs, builders, and founders. What's more, All students in the founding class will receive full tuition scholarships for all four years. Admissions are rolling for fall 2024. Apply to the University of Austin now at uaustin.org. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary.
7: 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun and that is worth celebrating so watch for can't miss promotions huge events and new games that will make the ohio Lottery's 50th year
1: its biggest one yet learn more at fun turns 50.com they switched
7: places on us nick
3: you mean i've had annie with me all this time
7: well i wanted to know what you were like and and hallie wanted to know mom and are you angry
3: Oh, honey, of course not. I just can't believe it's you. <laughs> Last time I saw you, you had diaper rash. i oh, you're all wet. <laughs> It's all right. <laughs> Look
0: at you. Well, I'm quite grown up now and quite without a father. And I've headed into my
7: crazy mixed-up teenage years. And I'll be the only girl I know without a mother to fight with.
3: Allie, you've been in London all this time? come here squirt
4: dennis quaid breaking the rules of never sharing the stage with children or animals <laughs> he's broken that rule too
3: yeah and that's there the was a dog Lizzie... in that scene too <laughs>
4: <Right>. <laughs> Lindsay low-handed i think 11 years old there. amazing by the way yeah. dennis's new album is called fallen a gospel record for sinners it's out right now so dennis uh she just had a baby. Lindsay Lohan just welcomed her first baby. She's now 36 years old. Can you believe it?
3: That is news to me. Oh, congratulations. Great. Last great, time great, I great. talked to
4: you, you were saying, come back, come back. Uh, yeah. She's an incredible talent, no?
3: she She's the most talented <laughs> person I think I've ever met. Uh, she was 11, you know, at the screen test, and... Uh, uh we got to shooting this scene at eleven she's doing like this English accent and you know an american accent and i i i thought it was two different people for i just bought it <laughs> everything that she did and she did it like so easy and uh and, uh it, it just uh, amazing and uh she you know she went through her uh trials as as we all do or whatever but yeah. uh you know i just, I I still think that there's uh, her story is definitely not over. And obviously her story is definitely not over. And congratulations on the baby. Yeah,
4: She's just got talent, like oozing out of her pores. That one, there's just not going to be keeping it, keeping that down. Uh, And you can't say that about everybody. A lot of people make it because they work hard or what have you. She's just, she seems naturally talented. I got to ask you the question of when you look back on your career in the 75 movies, it's unbelievable. Um, I know you told me, I think you told me last time the right stuff is one of your favorites, if not your favorite, but what are, you know, what are the ones that jump out at you sitting here right now?
3: Um, well, the parent trap was one of them. I really parent trap gave me new life. You know, I, you know, told you about, uh, you know, getting off cocaine and all that stuff. And, you know, you think you. That you, uh, you're doing the right thing and now things are going to get better, but they actually got worse. Is like, I took a year off to really <laughs> kind of work on myself, which turned into two. And then, uh, um, so it was, uh, Hollywood forgets about you pretty quick. I found out. And, uh, you know, along came the parent trap about, uh, six years later and it, it gave me a, another career really. So it's, it's always, um, it's, that's always in my heart, and uh then I would say that like the rookie um Reagan, which I just did uh you know I've got got a bunch of them uh a frequency which father son stories I've done a lot of father son stories, which uh yeah. always uh vibrates with me why um because well that's what guys do you know they're struggling with their fathers inwardly or outwardly uh um and in you know, who they are as as a, uh, themselves and you know in how are they in relief who are they in relief to this other person and um it's um it's uh, you know, it's, it's some of the br- that wells up in guys i think
4: Hmm. Were did you did you have a struggle with your dad
3: um yeah and uh yes I did you know there's a lot of things well I don't want to be like that and that it wound up like that or I can actually feel my father actually inside me um he passed in 86 uh, of a heart attack at 63 and um but uh I could it's yeah I could feel them inside me, but we wound up being really good close friends uh in the latter part of his life, which was really wonderful. You know, my parents were divorced and he was when I was about uh, eleven and uh he, so he wasn't around, but then we wound up really having a great adult relationship.
4: What did he do? You were raised in Houston, yes
3: yeah, he was an electrician
4: okay, yeah, so you're a good yeah. Texas boy, which explains too some of your connection. With faith, I do think, like, depending on where you grow up, you're more than likely to have a connection with God. And in certain places like New York City, less likely. More accessible.
3: Yeah. <laughs> That's what you're saying.
4: Yeah. And you know what else? Not just God, but love of country. The love of God, love of love of country, selflessness. Well, I, think I, mean, I think
3: there's a lot of people in those big cities that have a love of country and a love of God, too. You know uh, what it
4: is, though? Find the them all the time. The young people are not feeling the love of country. We actually just saw this in a poll in 19. Hold on a second. I wrote wrote it down. Okay. Gallup in, get this, 2013. So that's 10 years ago. Back then, 85% of people aged 18 to 29 uh, felt patriotic. 85. That's just 10 years ago. Guess what it is today?
3: 18. 18%.
4: Mm-hmm. Yes. You, you know, right before the years. right stuff,
3: right before the right stuff came out, um, we had a screening of it and somebody said they were in a bathroom and another person came into the bathroom, you know, after the screening went, oh, I, I, I don't know what's going on. I, I I kind of feel patriotic. It's like, about that movie, what's going on? And it was kind of, it reminds me of what's going on today. Reminds me very much of um, the way it was back then too. You know, that was the time of like, uh, you know, uh, Iran, the Iran hostages. We were, you know, we sort of given up as a country. And I just, I think that uh, it's going to come back around. It really this is America, even during the Revolutionary War, they were you know and we went through the Civil War and it's, it's always ebbed and flowed, and it's part of the strength of this country is to be able to bend and then snap back. And I mm-hmm. really have faith in this country that that is going to come back.
4: I certainly hope you're right. I mean i I've been railing on the show about the women's national soccer team out there at the World Cup. They won't sing, Dennis. They won't put their hands on their hearts. They won't. They they don't feel prideful when they're out there, even though they're representing the United States of America. Yes, we've got some flaws. Yes, there have been yeah. some warts, but we well, so much more good than Well, you remember the nineteen sixty eight
3: Olympic Games with the with fist in the air, and uh, it's. But I do. Uh, I th- I think I I have. <laughs> I have a faith that the people are going to come together. And I think the pendulum has already started to swing back. I really do.
4: Do you? Why?
3: Um, because we're our country is an experiment. It really is. And sometimes that experiment goes awry and tears us apart in a way. And, you know, there, there always is a revolution going on in America. And um, but uh, we all... We've got it back together in the past, and we will now, too. I mean, I look back at the 70s, and re- we had written ourselves off, really, that we were on the decline. And uh, we came roaring back. And, uh, and who was who the president again. who brought us back? Ronald Reagan.
4: <laughs> it's not a promo.
3: Ronald Mo. Reagan, but, you know, but, but there was a yearning there already going on and uh and i think that i do believe that the whoever's president in the united states really is a reflection of what is going on uh with the american people uh at the time and um it's uh it's the in, in a way the kind of the, the that we get the president that we deserve, in a sense, because it it is a reflection of what is happening. And there's so much divisiveness, which is built up, and political correctness, and just the ability to, you know, state the obvious common sense. And, uh, but I, it's coming back. I can I already feel you're
4: right. it. I know you're, uh, you're an independent, uh, which is, yeah that's about as I right as you're ways. allowed to be <laughs> it's about as right as you're allowed to be in hollywood <laughs>
3: well i've i've voted both ways uh throughout my life you know ronald reagan was the first president that i've oh no actually i voted for jimmy carter and then oh. i voted for Ronald Reagan.
4: <laughs> <laughs> i don't think you were alone in that we uh this video went viral just over the past couple of days. Fox News posted it. And it's at the tomb of the unknown soldier in Arlington National Cemetery. You know, I don't know if it was this way where you where you live, but this past Saturday was nuts with the storms on the East Coast mm-hmm. and in the Virginia area where Arlington is It's in Virginia. Um, they had winds of up to 80 miles an hour here at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Nearby. They were nearby. Are you talking about the
3: sentry eight... at, the, at the tomb?
4: Yes, the sentry, yeah. yeah. At, it, the winds were beautiful. 59 miles an hour. The rain was pouring, and look at this guy. Look at this guy, 3rd Infantry yeah. Regiment. The sentry's walking. Listen. Yeah. It's beautiful. This is why it's... we salute. This is why we put the yeah. hand on the heart. It's why we sing. It's why we love our okay, country. Then. To honor guys who, like that, who's ever in that unknown soldier tomb.
3: That's what I mean. Keep the faith, you know, because that's, that's us out there in the storm and just stay with it and the storm will pass.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: It always does. Uh,
4: do you, and like when you're, do you talk politics like at any sort of a Hollywood gathering or do you avoid that like the plague?
3: I I kind of avoid it like the pl- <laughs> because i want to talk to people i don't want to like uh because i know right. something's going to come up about it you know and I, I respect everybody's point of view i really do and i you know i think we we need to get back to that and uh, it's uh i think right now we're just kind of talking at each other and uh but uh it's you know i'm not like afraid of it but uh you know I don't want to alienate people and you know I like to keep my opinions to myself uh, a lot but um it's uh we need to get back to where a, a place where we, you know we used to have liberal Republicans and and conservative Democrats and uh, somewhere in the middle there that were at least kind of controlling things that uh, were you know, you felt like the adults were in the room, and we weren't that far apart, uh, the two parties. And uh, it it seems to be it seems to be very polarized right now, but I think it's like I said. I think the pendulum is swinging back well, to the I middle. Well, I think it's
4: interesting. Like you're just hearing you talk about your movie choices. You've done a lot of films about faith, family connection, as you point out. Um, things that will stir one's patriotism from the right stuff to Reagan, which will come out uh, soon. Uh, and we'll have you back when that happens. Like, I feel like you've done your part as an American to try to bring us together in a way that everyone can get behind, right? You, re- yeah. Irrespective of your politics.
3: Well, I, I don't think that people want to hear an actor spout on about his politics just because he, you know he's on TV. <laughs> it's just Right. I, I mean, I see actors do it and I get a little bored with it, to tell you the truth.
4: Right. So you try to get you tried to get at it a different way. And and you know what? It's been so effective and it's why you're I I I don't know if it's universal. It's universal amongst the Megan Kelly fans. Uh universally loved. Dennis, thank you so much. Please come back when when you are promoting Megan and we're off strike. Okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that movie. Reg Megan has been really great to see you. And you look great. And uh, I look forward to the next time, maybe in person.
4: Thank you. God bless you
3: and keep on going.
4: Thank you. Back at you. And please support Dennis by buying his album Fallen, a gospel record for sinners. It's available to stream right now. Just got it on Spotify. You will love it. It's actually really good. It it will uplift you. It'll make you think. Uh, And he's a great singer. Doesn't he channel a little Johnny Cash there? I think you will see the same. Thanks to all of you for joining me today. Tomorrow, remember that story about the NAACP? Of all groups, the NAACP fighting back about the crime in San Francisco, complaining about the defund the police movement and the soft on crime DA? Well, the two key players speaking out for the first time right here tomorrow. Don't miss that. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.